Did you know that for the first time in three decades, a new nuclear plant is being built in the USA? What's up everybody, Jen, ex-dividend investor here. Today in my 13th stock reveal video, I'll be doing a deep analysis of Southern Company, my 13th largest dividend stock by portfolio value of the 25 I own. That means that after this, I only have 12 stocks to reveal until my full dividend investing portfolio is shown. I think you'll find a lot of really useful information in this video, so I encourage you to watch until the end. The day I'm releasing this video is the day I'll be receiving dividend checks from AbbVie and Colgate Palmolive, so watch my next video to see screenshots of those checks. Oh, and someone asked me how much of my portfolio is in bonds. The answer is 0%. I've been 100% in equities pretty much since I started investing around 25 years ago, and I intend to stay 100% until the day I die. However, the common advice is own your own age in bonds. So if you're 30, the professional advice says that you should have about 30% of your portfolio's value in bonds. So while I ignore that advice, what I do is invest in utilities, as I see utilities as the bonds of my portfolio. They are my unsexy stocks that are my steady eddies. Lower return, but high likelihood of safe returns. Not as safe as bonds, of course, but I like the growth better and I'm fine with the risk profile. Of course, nothing is guaranteed, as we saw how Pacific Gas and Electric just filed for bankruptcy after the fires in California. That being said, I want to read an excerpt from Warren Buffett from his 2016 annual shareholder letter, which I think will help show my perspective on things. He says that utilities have recession-resistant earnings, which results from offering an essential service for which demand is remarkably steady. Recession-resistant means that if we have a recession and stocks crash, then utilities should do better than other stocks. They aren't recession-proof, but they are resistant. Kind of like your iPhone is probably water-resistant, so if it gets rained on, it's okay, but it's not waterproof, meaning that you can't throw it in the pool for a week, take it out, and it'll be okay. When he says essential service, he means that everyone needs electricity. Of course, if you want to go 100% into stocks like I am, then just realize you will most likely lose a lot more when the market crashes. That's what's happened to me twice so far, and I'm sure it'll happen a few more times in my life. And I have a favor to ask of you. Please share this video with one person out there. Maybe Donald Trump. Rumor is he likes to tweet. So this is a utility deep analysis. So I kindly ask you to nuke the like button. Not for the algorithm's sake, but for my sake. And please check out the timestamps in the description below if you want to jump straight to my portfolio. Or if you want to show your appreciation to me, then watch the whole video and comment below telling me you did, including your partner number two in your comments. I'm going to recognize people who are my top partners out there in my videos. If you're a beginner, my advice is to research low expense ratio, broad market covering ETFs like VTI and VU. There are a bunch out there you can research. I had a lot of success just investing in ETFs in my past. I don't do that anymore because I'm passionate about single dividend stocks, but I do recommend people research things fully before investing. Some research has been done that people who invested in the broad market like the S&P 500 have gotten better returns than investors who probably are picking individual stocks. Okay, now I'm going to launch into an in-depth analysis, but I want to make sure that if you only have one takeaway from this video, it's that investing can be simple. Now for you crazies who are riskier and want to be a bit more hands-on, it's time for some deep analysis. Southern Company, ticker SO, is a $23 billion revenue, $64 billion market cap American gas and electric utility and holdings company that has consecutively increased their dividend for 17 years, making it part of the dividend achievers list of companies with 10 or more consecutive years of increases, which makes it one of 
about 290 companies on that list. Next up is the Dividend Aristocrats list, which has only 57 companies on it, which I bet it'll achieve in 8 years. And then after that are the prestigious Kings, with only 27 companies on it. Southern Company operates seven regulated utilities, serving 9 million customers in multiple states, including Alabama Power, Georgia Power, Mississippi Power, Virginia Natural Gas, and a slew of others. Southern Company is also operating or developing renewables, including solar, wind, and biomass facilities across the U.S., as well as is building the first new nuclear units in the U.S. in 30 years at Plant Vogel near Augusta, Georgia. Biomass is organic material that comes from plants and animals and is a renewable source of energy. So biomass contains stored energy from the sun. When biomass is burned, the chemical energy is released as heat. Here's some examples of biomass and their uses for energy. Wood and wood processing waste burned to heat buildings and to generate electricity. Agricultural crops and waste materials burned as a fuel or converted to liquid biofuels. Animal manure and human sewage converted to biogas, which can be burned as fuel, food yard and wood waste and garbage burned to generate electricity in power plants or converted to biogas in landfills. I guess one man's garbage is another man's biogas. Biomass fuels now provide more than 5% of total primary energy use in the United States. Utilities are often great for very conservative dividend investors that don't like a lot of risk. And because of that, they generally have higher starting yields but lower dividend growth. I like them in a balanced DJI portfolio. Energy is something that everyone needs, and utilities really don't have direct competition in their markets, so that's another reason I like them. Now for reference, Southern Company has more than 500,000 shareholders and has been traded since 1949. The top institutional shareholder of Southern Company is our good friend the Vanguard Group, holding 88 million shares worth $5.5 billion. We also see BlackRock, State Street, and Tiburo Price as the remaining largest institutional holders of Southern Company. The current largest shareholder I could find was President William Bowers, who holds 121,000 shares about. That means with my 1,073.9 shares, I hold 0.000173% of it. Man, I bet that gives me a lot of sway at their annual meeting. Okay, let's look at their key competitors. Here we see that Exelon is the number one utility by revenue in the U.S., followed by Duke, Southern, PG&E, and Nextera Energy. I'll use the big boy on the block, Exelon, as their competitor in this analysis. Exelon Corp, ticker EXC, is an American Fortune 100 energy company headquartered in Illinois. It generates revenues of approximately $33 billion and employs 33,000 people. Exelon is the largest electric company in the U.S. by revenue, the largest regulated utility in the U.S. with approximately 10 million customers, and also the largest operator of nuclear power plants in the U.S. So utilities merits a bit of elaboration as one of those industries that you probably think you understand, but you might not. So most folks in the U.S. live in a state with regulated utilities. You probably get your bill from your utility company that tells you how much electricity you used and then you pay it. If the bill seems higher than normal, what do you do? You probably just tell yourself that it was a hot month and you just pay it. But how do you know that your utility is doing what it can to keep costs down? Do you have an option to go with another utility? Probably not. What you might not realize is that in the background there is a Public Utilities Commission, or PUC, staffed with energy experts that makes and enforces rules like how much rates should be. The PUC sees how much it costs the utility to supply you with electricity. 
Then the PUC takes the utility's fixed costs, multiplies it by an allowable rate, and then adds expenses to determine how much the utility is allowed to make, which lets them figure out how much they can charge. So this surprised me that because of that, utilities don't really make more or less money if the price of gas goes up or down. Utilities buy electricity and natural gas from suppliers, and they pass that cost directly to consumers. So that also surprised me that they don't actually make more money if you use more gas. Or to put it another way, utilities pass on the cost of generating electricity to their customers without any markup. If it costs them $100 to deliver the electricity to you, then you pay $100. So how do they make money then? Well, they make money in two ways, which also surprised me. Number one, if they build new things like gas lines and power plants to deliver energy to their customers, then they're allowed to collect a return on those investments. So they earn a profit on the infrastructure they build, which is fascinating to me. The reason behind this is because utilities are state-protected monopolies, so we can't have them profiting off their main product. The number two way they make more money is if you use less energy and you get it more efficiently. Utilities actually like if you use less electricity because they have no incentives for you to use more. If you use less, then you tax the grid less. So this is why it's such a stable business. They don't really have competitors, they make money almost regardless of what's going on, and they operate in the customer's best interests. Okay, now that we understand the industry, let's jump into a brief history of Southern Company. Southern Company's roots trace back to over a century ago to a Canadian engineer named James Mitchell. His family moved to Massachusetts, and he discovered a passion for science and technology while in high school, where he worked for an electric company. In 1890, the company sent him to Brazil to manage the creation of electric railroads. He spent over a decade there working on a variety of projects, such as Brazil's first hydroelectric dam. Then he came back to the U.S. Mitchell was inspired by the hydro potential of Alabama's rivers. Mitchell proposed electrifying the southeast United States with hydroelectric power. The bankers trusted him because of his ability to identify great locations to build hydroelectric dams, so all of his projects were backed in Alabama. He envisioned how a regional power network could work and use his banking connections to finance his dream. He then created what eventually ended up, after a series of acquisitions and divestitures, as Southern Company. Okay, let's look at some of their current business strategies. Southern Company has a variety of business strategies they are pursuing. The first is to improve operational performance. They want to continually have fewer outages and faster response times. To achieve this, they've been investing in automation and communication to enhance flexibility in serving load and to improve reliability. Number two is to improve customer satisfaction. Their traditional electric operating companies continue to be among the most highly rated utilities for customer satisfaction as ranked by JD Power, which ranks companies based on power quality and reliability, price, billing and payment, corporate citizenship, communications, and customer service. And number three, achieve success with major construction projects. Right now, the biggest item on their plate is the new Vogel nuclear site, where they're constructing multiple nuclear plants, which are the U.S.'s first nuclear plants in over 30 years. They are also improving on nuclear technology and are going to be using the Westinghouse AP1000 Advanced Pressurized Water Reactor Technology. This new technology allows nuclear cores to be cooled even in the absence of operator interventions or mechanical assistance. It is apparently the safest and most economical nuclear power plant available in the worldwide commercial marketplace, 
and is the only Generation 3 Plus reactor to receive design certification from the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Their first plant is expected to be in operation commercially near the end of 2021, and the next plant is expected to come online a year later. They are also training the people who will operate the plant, overseen by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. They will need 75 licensed people to operate the two new units. They are hiring people with degrees in nuclear engineering that have spent years in simulators to ensure they know how to operate the plants. I read that nuclear energy is the cleanest and most cost-effective fuel source available. It currently accounts for about 20% of the nation's energy mix, and its importance will continue to grow as America transitions to a low-carbon energy future. This info from their 10K shows part of the reason why they are pursuing nuclear. It is less than one-third the cost of gas or coal. So imagine once both their plants are online, how much better their margins will be. They are also investing in gas pipelines, building smart grids to improve efficiencies, and are investing more in renewables. Their capital spent for the next few years will be funded by retained cash flow and debt, with a couple billion being issued in equity. Their goal with both nuclear and classic renewables are to have energy without emissions. This slide from a recent 10K visually helps you understand Southern's macro-level strategies from an energy generation perspective. Ten years ago, renewables made up only 1% of our energy mix, whereas renewables now account for 10% of that output. In 2007, coal for power generation was 69% of their fuel mix. Now coal is under 30% of their energy mix. Natural gas was 16%, and now it's 47%, so clearly they're increasing natural gas. In all, Southern Company has invested nearly $20 billion in developing a low-carbon future. I would also add that innovation is a core part of Southern Company's strategies. An example would be how they're looking at the use of energy for indoor agriculture, which can help increase local food supplies and bring fresh food to urban communities where there aren't large plots of unused land available for growing or where the climate isn't conducive to outdoor farming. They also have a goal to transition to low or no carbon operations by 2050. And low carbon basically translates into low emissions. Okay, let's jump into their financials. Now there are four key financial areas I like to understand when I'm analyzing a business. And they are number one, is the company growing? Number two, can the company cover what it owes in the next year? Number three, do they have too much debt? And number four, how's their profitability? Let's start with number one. There are six main things I like to review when answering the question, is a company growing? And they are number one, is revenue growing? Number two, are earnings growing? Number three, is equity growing? Number four, is cash flow growing? Number five, is the dividend growing? And number six, is the stock price growing? So let's start with number one. Let's look at the revenue growth history for both Southern Company and Exelon on Macrotrends.net, Guru Focus, Yahoo Finance, and Zacks. So we see for Southern Company's revenue that in 2016, they had $19.9 billion of revenue, which was 13.8% greater than 2015. In 2017, they had $23.0 billion revenue, which was 15.8% greater than 2016. In 2018, they had $23.5 billion in revenue, which is 2% greater than 2017. And the 2020 estimate was $22.3 billion, which is 5.1% less than 2018. And then for Exelon's revenue, we see that in 2016, they had $31.4 billion in revenue, which is 6.5% greater than 2015. In 2017, they had $33.6 billion in revenue, which was 7% greater than 2016. 
and in 2018 they had 36 billion in revenue, which is 7.2% greater than 2017. The 2020 estimate for revenue is 33.1 billion, which is 8.1% less than 2018. So 2016 and 17 were rare revenue years for utilities. Usually you just see a few percent growth, but acquisitions can bolster their normal revenue trends, which isn't something you will see year to year. So they both have decent trends, though they are both decreasing this year with lowered estimates for 2020 by analysts. Okay, number two of six, are earnings growing? Their 10K breaks down their three core business segments. So number one is their electricity business, which is the bulk of where their earnings are. And this segment is responsible to generate and sell electricity to retail and wholesale customers. Number two is their gas business, which is about one-sixth of their electricity business. This segment is responsible to distribute natural gas in four states and is involved in several other businesses, including pipeline investments, wholesale gas services, and gas marketing. And then number three is the other segment, which includes costs they charge for their parent company, as well as a variety of other small areas. Let's look at Southern's net income trending over time and compare that to Exelon's. So for Southern Company's net income in 2016, we see they were at $2.45 billion, which was 3.4% greater than 2015. In 2017, they were at $0.84 billion, which is 66% less than 2016. In 2018, they were at $2.3 billion, which is 164% greater than 2017. And the 2020 estimate for net income was $3.18 billion, which is 35% greater than 2018. Looking at Exelon's net income, in 2016 we see $1.1 billion, which is 51% less than 2015. In 2017 it was $3.8 billion, which is 238% greater than 2016. In 2018 it was $2 billion, which is 47% less than 2017. And their 2020 estimate is $3.13 billion, which is 57% greater than 2018. So earnings are a bit volatile for both of them. Some recent earnings impacts for Southern Company include some write-offs due to cost overruns at some of their big projects. Now just like almost all metrics, as I've previously said, there are nuances to net income, and it can mislead you, but I still like to review the trends. Okay, on to number 3 of 6, is equity growing? Here we see that both Southern and Exelon have been increasing shareholders' equity over the last decade, which I'd like to see. Okay, let's move on. So, number four of six, is cash flow growing? To answer the question, is a company growing? From Morningstar, we see that Southern Company's free cash flow has been negative for a few years. Exelon's looks a bit better. One of the big drainers of cash flow has been the Nuclear Vogel project, which has pushed free cash flow negative for multiple years. So that is also why they are adding leverage to their books to pay for the project and to cover their dividend. But management is selling non-core assets to tackle this debt issue. One of the reasons I like Southern Company is that over 90% of their earnings are generated by state-regulated utilities with long-term contracts. This should help out during recessionary periods, at least marginally. Now, free cash flow is important to understand, more so than something like net income. I mean, you can have companies that might show great earnings, but they don't have good free cash flow because they used all their earnings to stay in business, doing things like building their plants. Car companies come to mind. I believe that once their nuclear plants are complete, then I think their cash flow will look a lot better, potentially for decades to come. But since normally free cash flow is one of the important metrics you should be using, I'll try to simplify what it is. When a company does sales, it usually gets cash from those sales, or accounts receivables that it turns into cash. 
then it pays out to employees and pays out for its leases and for its water bills and whatever else, which basically decreases their cash. Now that remaining cash generally goes to lenders first, which are like banks and bondholders and such. And what's left over after that is what goes to the owners, i.e. the shareholders like you and I. So free cash flow is a measure of the difference between a company's cash flow that it generates from operations and its capital expenditures. Unfortunately, free cash flow doesn't show up on the normal financial statements, so it's something you generally need to calculate. You take the cash flow from operations from the cash flow statement and you subtract from it the property, plant, and equipment line. Then that free cash flow money can be used for whatever management wants. They can reinvest it to grow the business faster, which I like to see. They can pay us dividends, which I also like. And by the way, I like to hold most of my dividends in tax sheltered accounts. They can also do buybacks with their free cash flow, ideally when the stock price is cheaper than the intrinsic value of the company. Generally speaking, the better the free cash flow, the better the company is doing, which makes it something you probably become more interested in. Another cash flow metric to consider is operating cash flow, which tells you how much cash is generated by a company based on its normal running operations. It helps you understand if a company can make enough cash to maintain and or expand its operations. It can also give you some insight into if a company might need to seek external funding when they need to grow. Think of it as cash that is left over after financing of projects a company is doing. So the various cash flow metrics let you understand the liquidity of a company, and they can give you insights into how a business is making cash and how it's using cash. But like I've said many times, you can't look at any one metric in isolation. For example, let's say you only looked at how much cash a company had. That is usually a good sign, but if you dig deeper, you might find that the company had to take on a ton of debt and it doesn't have good enough cash flow to cover that debt. So metrics generally just give you more data points to understand how strong a business is and how likely you think it'll be able to do things like grow in the future and pay dividends, amongst others. I encourage you to calculate your own free cash flow number, and as a rule of thumb, I like to see free cash flow that is at least as big as net earnings. And, like most metrics, I like to see a continually increasing trend over time. Per Buffett, intrinsic value is the number if you were all-knowing about the future and you could predict all the cash that a business would give you between now and Judgment Day, discounted at the proper discount rate. Okay, now let's move on to number five of the six is the dividend growing. For 70 consecutive years, Southern Company has paid a dividend to its shareholders that is equal to or greater than the previous year. They have had 17 consecutive years of dividend growth and should hopefully become an aristocrat in eight years. Looking at the dividend growth histories, you can immediately see a nice trend for Southern from 1989 on, whereas you see that Exxon did a dividend cut. Street Insider shows they did a dividend cut in 2013 when they lowered their dividend from 52 cents per quarter to 31 cents a quarter, and then kept it flat for a while after that. So that pretty much takes Exxon out of the running for my portfolio. We see that Southern stock is up in the last 365 days as compared to Exelon, which is down. Southern's dividend catches are low in the mid threes, which is about what I'd expect for a utility. And we see that Exelon has a 10-year dividend catcher that is negative, which makes sense given their dividend cut. And then we see a higher payout ratio for Southern at 80%. I normally like to see less, but for a stable utility, it's just something I'm going to watch. That being said, their management is projecting earnings to grow by about 5% a year, so the payout ratio should slowly improve. And given that the Trump administration provided almost $4 billion in loan guarantees to help make the Vogel project a success, once it's finished, it should produce cheap electricity for decades.
This is a great chart from one of their presentations that highlights their dividend. It shows over the last two decades how a $1,000 investment grew to about $8,000. A dripped dividend would have accounted for about 4,900 of that gain in value, over 60% of their returns. So quite an improvement on the total return. Now, you obviously can't guarantee that future performance will be like past performance. However, I have way more confidence in a company with an extensive history of consecutively increasing their dividend over one that has way less. Sure, any company can go bankrupt or can cut their dividend, but when you research things deeply, I found that info like dividend history is yet another useful metric to consider as a dividend growth investor. Okay, let's look at what's going on with share buybacks. So, as is normal for utility companies, we see their shares have been increasing, so I'm not worried like I might be if I were evaluating a tech company. Companies typically issue more shares when they need to raise capital through equity financing or for reasons such as acquisitions and mergers or internal reasons like exercising employee stock options and such. Utility companies do large capital intensive projects as I've discussed, so seeing the trend go up like this doesn't surprise me. In the last 13 years, we see that Southern Company's shares outstanding have increased by about 41% and Exxon's have increased by about 38%. Finally, number six of six, is the stock price growing? To help us answer the question, is a company growing? Let's look at the total returns of Southern Company compared to Exxon and to the S&P 500 using Dividend Channel's Total Returns Drip Calculator. This models what would have happened if you invested 10K around 20 years ago. We see that your investment in 10K would have turned to 76K for Southern Company, a 658% return. It would have turned into 27K for Exelon, a 166% return, and it would have turned into 34K in the S&P 500, which is a 237% return. So it would have almost tripled the returns of the S&P 500, a utility. Think about it. But let's see how they performed in the last five years and compare them against a broader representation of utilities. This chart from their 10K shows what would happen to $100 invested about five years ago. It compares the cumulative return on Southern Company in black versus the Philadelphia Electric Utility Index in gray and the S&P 500. Here we see that Southern Company has been lagging in performance for the last three years. Okay, let's jump on to number two. Can the company cover what it owes in the next year? which is asking if it can cover its short-term debt obligations. I like to use the current ratio to determine that. It is important to compare ratios in the same industry due to fluctuations in what is normal. A ratio higher than one indicates that a company will have a high chance of being able to pay off its shorter-term debt, whereas a ratio of less than one indicates that a company may not be able to pay off its shorter-term debt. So the higher the ratio, the more liquid the company is. I like to see ratios between 1.5 and 3%. We see that Southern Company is at 0.94 compared to Exelon at a similar 0.93, so they are both slightly under the industry median of 1.05. The next main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is that it has taken on too much debt using the debt to equity ratio. Here we see that Southern Company's debt to equity is 1.38 compared to Exelon's 0.95. Both are slightly higher than the industry median of 0.88. SO is ranked lower than 79% of their competitors, and Exelon is ranked lower than 63% of theirs. Watch my previous videos to understand the nuances of negative debt-to-equity. Remember, debt-to-equity is total liabilities divided by total equity. If the ratio is greater than 1, the majority of assets are financed through debt. If it is smaller than 1, assets are primarily financed through equity. I like to see between 1 to 1.5. A high debt-to-equity ratio is often associated with high risk, as it often means a business is pushing for faster growth with debt. 
That being said, the appropriate debt to equity ratio varies depending on the industry because some industries use more debt financing than others. Capital intensive industries often have higher ratios. So while Southern's overall debt is high, they are taking actions to deleverage via selling assets. Also, they need to make sure their credit rating remains solid to ensure they have access to debt and equity markets. The good thing is that Southern, like many utilities, is a monopoly in the areas it serves. So that lets them carry more debt relative to a company that didn't enjoy such a business model. Its overall debt is in line with other large utilities. And once their new nuclear plants are complete, then cash flow should drive down their debt. Okay, let's see if we think they can cover their interest payments. So let's see if EBIT is at a reasonable level. Looking at their latest EBITs on macro trends, we see that Southern Company's EBIT is at 7.6 billion and Exelon's EBIT is at 4.1 billion. I normally like to see EBIT greater than or equal to three times net interest. Looking at Southern Company's income statement, we find that their trailing 12-month interest is at 1.75 billion, so we see that they're covered. Looking at Exelon's income statement, we find that their trailing interest is at 4 billion, so they are not covered. Okay. The number four main item I like to look at when analyzing a business is to understand their profitability. Let's look at return on equity or their earnings power. Normally I expect to see 10 to 15% to cover their cost of capital and make money for shareholders, but the more the better. So ROE is sometimes called the mother of all ratios for the reason that it helps us gauge a company's efficiency by looking at both its income statement and balance sheet. ROE tells us how much profit a company makes for every dollar it has in shareholder equity. Here we see that Southern Company's ROA is a nice 14.8% versus Exelon, who's at a poor 6.9% versus an uninspiring industry median of 8.6%. So Southern Company does well here, better than 82% of their competitors versus Exelon, which is lower than 58%. Please watch my AbbVie video if you want a more detailed explanation of ROE, which goes into some of its nuances. So ROE is the income that is being generated as a percentage of shareholders' equity, also known as book value. Another metric you could look at is return on invested capital, and theirs is very nice, relatively speaking. Okay, let's look at return on assets. ROA is a measure of profitability. ROA will tell us how efficiently a company is squeezing profit from their assets. Return on assets is a measure of how well a company takes all of the money it has and uses that to make more money. It's a metric which is used to calculate management's effectiveness to understand how much profit a company earns for every dollar of its assets. ROAs over 5% are generally what I look for. The higher the ROA, the higher the asset efficiency. Here we see that Southern Company's ROA is 3.95% compared to Exelon's 1.91% and the industry median of 3.02%. So Southern Company is doing better than 62% of their peers and Exelon is doing worse than 68% of them. Okay, the next profitability metric we will look at is net margin. I like the net profit margin because it's a decent metric and just a single figure to gauge how effectively management is running the business. Net profit margins vary depending on the type of industry you're in. Watch my previous videos for more details. Here we see Southern's net margin at an excellent 21% versus Exelon's mediocre 6.6% versus the industry at 6.8%. Southern companies ranked higher than 86% of its competitors versus Exelon ranked lower than 51% of its competitors. So Southern Company dominates here. Okay, let's move from their financials to community involvement, charitable giving, and to their environmental, social, and governance work, along with any special entities they might support. Southern Company is involved in a variety of charities. 
For example, they're donating to the Veterans Augusta Warrior Project, which connects soldier warriors who are in need of assistance. They gave over $50 million to charities in 2017, and their employees volunteered more than 260,000 hours that year. Southern Company is also pushing for sustainability. They work to help Mercedes-Benz Stadium become the only stadium in the U.S. to achieve LEED Platinum Certification, the highest level of recognition for sustainability in building design. They did this with a variety of innovations and measures, such as solar panels and EV charging stations. So that stadium currently creates 10% of their energy consumption they need, which is impressive. They are also working with home builders to develop smart neighborhoods that provide customers with better energy solutions. They have deployed millions of smart meters to help customers better manage their energy use and save money. They are also adding more compressed natural gas vehicles to their fleet to help reduce CO2 emissions. Finally, they have been partnering with all four branches of our military on innovative renewable energy projects. They are also striving to become more diverse. One third of their board are women and ethnic minorities. Southern Company was once again recognized as one of the top 50 companies for diversity in 2018 by both Diversity Inc. and Black Enterprise. Internally, they have about a quarter of their employees being women and minorities, and the average employee tenure is 15 years. They have only a 2% involuntary turnover, which is high for any sector, and about 10% of the active employees are veterans, which is awesome to see. They have won a slew of accolades that reflect their awesome work culture, including a perfect score on the disability Equality Index by the American Association of People with Disabilities, and they were voted number 48 on the list of best places to work in IT, number 5 on the list of best companies to work for for veterans, and they're a top 100 military-friendly employer, and a best place to work for LGBT equality. So they really covered the gamut. Southern Company has a goal of no carbon operations by 2050, and they have reduced their greenhouse gas emissions by 36% since 2007. Okay, let's move on to their executive leadership team. The average tenure across their most senior execs averages over 25 years, which is amazing. Their CEO is Tom Fanning. He has worked for Southern for more than 38 years and has held 15 different positions in 8 different business units, including numerous officer positions with a variety of Southern company subsidiaries in the areas of finance, strategy, international business development, and technology. Okay, one way we can assess the CEO is on how his stock has done since he's taken office. Here we see Southern Company in black, SPY in blue, and Exelon in purple. What we see is that Southern Company has underperformed relative to SPY, but has done better than Exelon. SPY has performed the best here. Okay, let's jump into concerns and risks. Now, I go over risks in each of my videos, but I want you to really think about risks when you're going to invest. What will limit your investment from flourishing decades from now? Does it have a good moat? What macro trends could kill it? Think deeply about risks. There might be short-term threats or long-term risks, but don't gloss over really thinking about future viability. So what about a utility like Southern Company? Well, one of the biggest risks in my opinion is the construction and running of those new nuclear plants. But if they pull it off, they will have nice cash flow for decades. Utilities often don't do well when interest rates and or inflation is going up. Inflation impacts the value of the rate base which utilities use to calculate their returns. Lower rates should help decrease Southern's cost of debt as well as make refinancing easier. So the trend we've been on lately is good for Southern. Another risk comes from catastrophic events such as fires, earthquakes, explosions, floods, tornadoes, and the like. Of course, their own equipment can cause issues as we saw what happened with the massive PG&E fires in California, 
and their ensuing bankruptcy. The changing regulatory environment is a risk, as regulations can be costly to comply with. They also are responsible for maintaining a pension system, which has its own inherent financial risks. As I previously stated, it's important that Southern Company's credit rating remains strong to ensure that they have access to capital markets to continue to fund their growth. So a risk would be if something happens to damage their credit rating. Cybersecurity and terrorism are risks that could not only impact their bottom lines, but also the safety of people's lives. One risk they face is over litigation. For example, one of Southern's subsidiaries is facing an investigation by the DOJ related to the failed coal gasification plant called the Kemper Project in Mississippi. Apparently, the plant received hundreds of millions of dollars from the federal government, who was in support of the plant, but now it only burns natural gas, which wasn't my understanding of the original intent. This plant began construction in 2010, and it was supposed to be based on clean coal. And if it worked and became operational, then it would have been the first of its kind electricity plant to use gasification and carbon capture technologies at massive scale. It was supposed to be finished in 2014 at a cost of $2.4 billion, but the cost of ballooned to what some would call the most expensive power plant ever built based on its generating capacity. Then they announced that they would switch to burning only natural gas in efforts to manage costs. Finally, there is a risk that during a recession that authorities can make them lower their rates. So big question, is it worth buying at today's price? The best way to figure out a good price is to calculate the intrinsic value of a company. So using discounted cash flow to value a business is what you want to be doing. Instead of me doing a video on it, I recommend that you watch Jimmy's video over on Learn to Invest called Discounted Cash Flow, How to Value a Stock Using Discounted Cash Flow, DCF Calculation. For brevity's sake, I'm just going to use a DCF calculator on Guru Focus, which isn't as good as the full method Jimmy teaches you in that video. And please go watch it and try it out. So let's look at the results from the DCF calculators to see what it estimates for Southern and Exelon. Of course, traditional DCF models assume we can accurately forecast revenue and earnings three to five years into the future, which you can't, but it's still an exercise worth doing. So using this DCF calculator, we see that Southern Company has a fair value of $46.60 versus its stock price of $60.47, which is a minus 29.58% margin of safety, i.e. it's overpriced. I think $45 is close to what I'd pay to go in deeper. Exelon's DCF fair value is $25.47 versus stock price of $44.02, which gives it a minus 72.83% margin of safety, thus it's also overpriced. So if you were just using these calculators, you would say that Southern is a better value, but both are too pricey. And remember, you can go to the calculator and change the default assumptions to see how their fair value is impacted. Okay, let's put their PEs. Watch my previous videos to learn some nuance about PEs and what I expect to see in different industries. Here we see that Southern Company's PE is at 13.88, better than the industry median of 16.39. Its forward PE is 19.27, which doesn't look so hot. Exelon is at 18.5, worse than the same industry median of 16.39. It has a nice forward PE of 14.62 though. Remember that the average PE across the S&P 500 is around 22. For utilities, I get more excited in the 8 to 13 range, so both are pricey. Watch my Abbey video if you want to learn more about the S&P 500 PE ratios. Okay, another final trend that you might want to look at is how their dividend yield has trended over time as an input into your buying decisions. Here are the last 10 years of dividend yield trends for Southern Company and Exelon. Southern Company has a nice 4.1% yield and Exelon's is mediocre at 3.29%. 
Remember, yield is their annual dividend that they pay out divided by share price. So if this line is flat, then it's one indicator that its relative value has stayed flat when looking at this metric in isolation. If the line trends downhill, then it probably indicates that it's getting pricier, and if it trends up, then it indicates that it is potentially becoming more of a value play worth considering. It will have a tendency to trend up if they increase their annual dividend payout or if the share price goes down. It will trend down if the share prices go up relative to the dividend payout. So the ideal is to buy when the yield is high and then see the line trend down because the share price is going up after you buy it. Of course, if the share price goes down, then your drip can buy more shares. So between the share price and the annual dividend changes, the relative value of Southern Company has been fairly constant. It looks like Exxon has been getting a bit pricier relative to this value. Let's look at what the analysts at MarketBeat say about Southern Company and Exxon. So we see that Southern Company's consensus rating today as a hold is compared to a hold six months ago. Share price today is $60.47, its price target today is $56.44, and its price target six months ago was only $47.17. Exxon's consensus rating today is a buy, and its rating six months ago is also a buy. Its share price today is $44.02, and its consensus price target today is $52.25, versus its price target six months ago of $48.07. So we see here that professionals believe that there's a decent amount of upside potential for Exxon. Now let's look at insider trading. There are basically two types of insiders. Number one is someone who has information or access to information that is valuable and non-public about a company. And number two is someone who owns 10% or more of a firm's equity. So high-level execs are considered insiders, but employees can be as well, because even though they might not own a lot of stock, they could be privy to details that could influence the markets. Like maybe they're working on the next prototype Tesla and they know it's going to have a 10,000 mile range. If they tell anyone that, even their significant other or their friends, well, then that's sharing knowledge they shouldn't. And then let's pretend someone buys or sells and such based on that info. Well, People are going to get in trouble if that happens. Normally, companies have trading windows that allows insiders and employees to buy and sell. The SEC keeps track of how much stock in their companies certain insiders own. After the SEC knows that info, then insiders need to make sure they report changes by filing a Form 4 within two business days after a transaction. In general, Form 4 tells you what insiders are doing with their holdings, and you can use that information to inform your own decisions about whether to invest. The most important part of a Form 4 involves specific transaction information. The reporting person must include the specific type of security traded, the date of the transaction, a code reflecting the exact type of transaction, and the number of shares or units bought or sold, and their price. The reporting person must also say how many shares or units remain in possession of the reporting person after the transaction. In my experience, I often see execs trading in their options and RSUs. So when they do an options trade, they often do a buy and a sell, and they often have their taxes on their minds when this happens. For example, with restricted stock unit sales, the company usually holds a certain amount of shares at default tax rates to offset the tax liability that the exec will get. But if it's a huge amount of shares that pumps the exec into higher brackets, then often the exec will need to ensure that they are ready to pay the remaining taxes on their shares come tax time. There are examples of people who had large amounts of RCUs exercised on a certain date, and thus they knew they would owe additional tax on them that tax year. But instead of selling the RCUs immediately, they sat on them. And then something happened to the company and the stock plummeted. So they ended up actually losing money on the transaction. Stories like that are rare, but have happened. 
So what's a good price for Southern Company? Southern was a company I used to own. Then I got out of it for a reason I'll go into in a future video. And then I got back into it in December of 2018 at around $45, which is the price I'd like to see again before I dump more money into it. So for now, I'm content to just grow my position naturally with my drip. Southern is a great utility with a great reputation. So what do you think? Are you a bear or a bull on Southern? Are you going to buy, sell, or hold? Remember, don't forget to comment down below with your partner number. Likes and comments help make the algorithm promote this video more, which is the best way you can thank me. Now let's jump into my portfolio. Alright, let's start with the overall pie allocation. Now that we've added in Southern Company, so we see utilities are at 15.1%, energies at 18.1%, industrials at 18.5%, consumer staples, consumer packaged goods at 10 healthcare at 13.4%, retail at 10.9%, financials at 10.3 and entertainment at 3.7. Okay, so we see Southern Company. I have a 1,073.9 shares. We see they've been going up the last 365 days. Current PE 13.91, forward PE 18.74, DDM 20. There are a utility. Their dividend payout date is coming up here on December 6th. Their current yield is 4.09%. Their three-year dividend casual is only 3.4%, which is the same as their five-year, and their 10-year is only slightly better at 3.6. So lower than the rest of my portfolio so far. We see the portfolio's average weighted five-year dividend compound annual growth rate at 9.61%, and the portfolio's average weighted dividend yield is 3.46% for these 13 stocks of the 25 in my portfolio. I have $65,178 of Southern Company, taking my portfolio value up to $432,670, and it trips $2,663 a year, bringing my, my total so far up to $14,963 a year. Uh, 72 years of dividend data, 17 years of consecutively increasing their dividend. And we see the portfolio's average weighted years of increasing dividends is now at 28.8 years. And the beta is a nice low 0.15, so it brings the portfolio's average weighted beta down to 0.86. And the portfolio's average weighted market cap is about $125.5 billion. Cool. Thanks, folks. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor. And these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments. Don't use this information without double checking it and talking to someone a lot smarter than me after you completely understand it. So I'll see you in the next video and remember to stay positive, patient, play for the long term, keep investing in great companies, budget reasonably, and win. I know you can do it. 
just like I know you can hit the subscribe, like, and bell icons, share this video with others, and comment below.